so let us begin here. I am here with Chris Galis. Chris Galis is a reporter at uh, Global TV. It's a news station here in Vancouver, uh, BC. Um, I just would love to ask him some questions about what, uh, how he got to the position he is, or what, what pushed him to the position at where he is now, and what advice could you possibly give other people? Well, I'm thrilled to be here. First of all, Matthew, thank you very much. Your dad uh, obviously used to work here, and that's kind of the backstory and how we got connected for some of your listeners and uh, and always admired him and uh, really pleased to see that you have taken an interest in sort of my line of work. Um, I know your dad's moved on to other other better ventures, but, um, but this is a, f- a format and an art form that has mattered a great deal to me in in my life, not necessarily podcasting, which by the way didn't even exist when I was your age. But um, yeah, just very pleased to to be here with you and to be able to offer whatever wisdom I can. Looking back to the terrifying times I had as a grade eleven, grade twelve student, thinking my whole life was ahead of me and I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with it. Could you tell us a bit more about um, what made you get into uh, being a reporter? Sure, I, I was uh, recruited to, to a college as a basketball player when I was in high school. I was your typical, fairly typical jock, although unlike a lot of stereotypical jocks, I took a very keen interest in reading. I was very curious about the world around me. I read the encyclopedia, which for those who are too young to know, was a series of books from A to Z that sat on a bookshelf that basically is what Wikipedia is now, but in book form. So I I had a voracious appetite for reading and knowledge, and, and that was a you know, an aptitude and a skill that I didn't realize at the time would come in very handy in a career as a journalist because curiosity is the key, um, is really the, the, the number one uh, value or quality, I think, that, that we need to have in this business. We've got to be curious about the world around us. So when I was, uh, you know, in grade 12 and I was recruited as a basketball athlete, that was really my focus for the first little while. Cause as I mentioned, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't realize that there was a path even available to me in storytelling or writing, creative writing or storytelling or journalism for that matter. It wasn't until I got into Mount Royal University at the time it was Mount Royal college, but it was at Mount Royal University that I played basketball just for a year and a half, but those were the most important uh, months in my life in terms of defining what I ended up doing for a career. What did you do in high school? Uh, were you also confused with what you wanted to do later on? Or because you liked reading, you were set on uh, something to do with the news industry? Yeah, I, I knew that... I knew that I enjoyed reading and I knew that I enjoyed writing and I had an aptitude for for writing. I did well in language arts at at the time. That's what it was called where I went to high school. And and so not only that, but I was unafraid to perform in front of groups and that and whether that was um, just having fun in the cafeteria with my buddies 
or whether that was taking a class in drama or whether that was, you know, appearing in front of a, a video camera back in, in the day. I never was nervous about being in front of or performing in front of, in front of other people. And so I didn't really realize those skills would come in handy until I got into the broadcast journalism program in Mount Royal. And the story about how I got into that is, is really just being encouraged by my mom more than any, anybody else to like, she would say, you need to get into drama or you need to be an actor or you need to, you know, do something in the performing arts. And it, it wasn't something that was in my peer group, and I, I regret this, but it wasn't something that was really supported in my peer group, that it was more important to be a jock and that jocks didn't do the drama theater thing. And I, I regret that I kind of bowed to that peer pressure because I think I would have enjoyed it. Journalism, there's a, there's a performance element to what I do now in, in my job in, in that I need to be able to communicate in front of an audience. And, and those were skills that obviously in theater or drama you could, you could hone. And, and so with my mom's encouragement, I looked, at the, I looked at the course book for Mount Royal and you asked me sort of what were some of the things that I was good at or not good at in school. I looked for a course that had no math requirement. <laughs> and there were two in the whole university that had no math requirement. And that was interior design or journalism. There was no math requirement in journalism. Interior design. That's something Inter I would think that math would be... You would think, right? Because you have to measure things. Right. And you have, and, but no, there was no math requirement beyond high school math, which I had, but I just thought I struggled with it in high school. Now, the great irony for me today is that I actually am, I've overcome that fear and am quite good at math. But back in the day, it terrified me. So that kind of was the, you know, what am I going to do? Interior design or or journalism, and in that there were two areas of study, radio or television in the journalism program. And because they had sort of a performance aspect to it, I chose to go into broadcast journalism. And that was the choice. It really just came down to math. And I was accepted uh, after I put up a, a portfolio of some of the work that I had done in writing and, uh, and an essay that I wrote about the importance of journalism. And so I was accepted and that's kind of how it all began. But I will say to anybody listening who is your age or in grade 12, I was terrified of graduation because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and it did take some time, even, even once I, once I learned more about broadcasting for me to really see that as an option, as a career, it, I was a late bloomer. Yeah, I think I think more and more people are confused. So they decide to take a gap year after school. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of my friends are taking gap years. Mm -hmm. um, you did not take one. I didn't. No, I got right into it. And now, in that year and a half that I played basketball, I didn't get right into broadcasting. I took university level English courses, writing courses, and and other sort of general studies courses that interested me. Um, and I would encourage anybody to expose themselves to all kinds of things 
to help you make a decision about what really is your passion and and not to be worried if you're leaving high school without a firm direction or firm idea about what you want to do for a career. Your whole life is a long time to think about what it is you're going to be doing for the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Little chunks. What are you going to do next year? What are you going to do the year after that? Or five years down the road? And and if you think of it in those terms, those big life decisions don't aren't necessary and don't seem so daunting. So, and that's kind of how I approach it. I'm like, okay, well, at least I'm, my next goal is to get into broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. I have a two-year commitment to this program because at that time it was two years to get a broadcast, a diploma in broadcast journalism. And I thought I'll dedicate myself for those two years to accomplish that. And we'll see what happens after that. If I get a job, I'll make another decision. And so that's how I approached it. When you said exposing yourself to many different courses out there, Mm -hmm. did your school offer any special courses that you found interest in that you got more exposed to and which I know probably didn't help you as much, but, or maybe some did, but just getting you more out there. Would you, are there any courses that you took or are there any courses that now you see that students should take to expose themselves even more? Yeah, to me, I liked, because I was an athlete and I liked sports and I also had an interest in, you know, movies and, and, and storytelling and things like that. I got involved, obviously I got involved in team sports, which I think is very important to understand team dynamics and the role that each person has on a team and that was very important to being a valuable and a good teammate in the workforce but also and i really only thought about this afterwards i got involved in what was the audio visual club in elementary school which which we were the group of kids that went in and now i'm really dating myself but we went in and we would set up the film cameras and the screens and when video tape became more popular setting up the video tapes and televisions in each of the classrooms so we actually got time out of our class to go and hey this class is having a a presentation and they need you to set up the film camera can you go and do that and I got a chance to do that and and to understand how some of those things worked and some of that early videotape technology worked was very helpful as I as I got into broadcast journalism back when we were still using videotape at the time. And, and so I encourage if there are clubs, if there are uh, teams that you can be a part of, debate was always very interesting because it got you to think on your feet and to, you know, think about the different angles of a particular issue, right? And being objective and, and being able to argue a point because sometimes you didn't always know what you right. know what point do you get to argue, um, and that sort of objective view on any particular topic can only help you as a as a journalist. And how you said in elementary schools you had like this this thing where you go to different classes. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I was in I was in two different elementary schools, and that was kind of unheard of. Like we never had anything like that. No. But in high schools, they would have over I mean I I could see now through the years they add more and more and more different classes. Mm-hmm. So if 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 you were if you weren't exposed to the camera stuff while you were in elementary and you're exposed to it in high school, do you think that would have changed anything? 
I, I don't think so. I think it would be. I think it would be just as beneficial. I don't. I don't think that early. I don't think the fact that I knew about it sort of earlier uh, was any any more of a benefit. I think if you're in high school and you have a chance, you know, especially in the in the profession that I'm in, if there's any interest out there for 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 journalism or even like you know having a YouTube channel. Television production is now not just about being on TV. It's about, you know, being your own creator of content that has an infinite array of platforms. Just like you have a podcast, which never existed, as I mentioned before, when, you know, that never existed. The, the options now, if there's any interest in, in being a creator and establishing your own voice, telling stories that you want to tell, there's almost an infinite ability now to do it because technology and the internet have provided that for us. And it's been fascinating to watch that evolve as, uh, as I've gone along. But I would just encourage people who are in high school now to expose themselves to as many different things, even things outside their comfort zone, right? right? Even if it isn't expressly an interest for you, try it. Yeah, because you don't you know once know. you try it. Exactly. Yeah. You you might not know. It might light some fire that that you weren't expecting it to light. And and I think the message I would want to get across is just experience things. Leave yourself open to these experiences, so uh, so that you can define what you want to do later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now schools seem to be much more lenient on marks and pressure on students. Do you think this is beneficial for the future or is this taking away something like the competitiveness of school? I, I don't think it's good. I am concerned that there, that there is a lower standard. Um, and, you know, I don't want to condemn teachers either because I know they have the hardest job uh, in the world and, and it's very, very difficult. I think parents have failed in many ways. I think our society and our culture has failed in many ways with two parents forced to work in many households and not as much uh, focus on the well-being of the child and maybe, maybe less involvement in the child's education. And it has created this, you know, this generation that isn't maybe as independent and resourceful and resilient as as I like to think ours was. That's not to say there aren't very resourceful, resilient kids, but I think lowering the standards is not the right way and passing people who may not be ready is not the right way. So I think I always have appreciated tough love from my teachers and my instructors and my mentors, and that's what I tried to do too. Mm-hmm. There are some mandatory courses all the way from, or at least in my school, all the way from grade eight to grade 10, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the courses being such as uh, English, yeah. which I, I see as very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's science, yeah. uh, math, PE, and then a few other elective courses. Yeah. Um, do those courses, do you think those should be mandatory courses or should there be other add-ons? Like, should there be 
I don't know, a, a filmmaking course that should be mandatory or a financial course that should be mandatory? I definitely think personal finances should be a mandatory part of the curriculum. There's no doubt about that to me that for way too long, we have graduated kids and I'm one of them who didn't have good personal financial practices or real understanding of how the economy worked, personal finances worked, what it meant to balance a checkbook and plan for retirement. All of those things seem so far off um, to kids, but those are core skills that are necessary for, I think, for um, financial security as, as you get older. And, and I think finances of the, 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 you know, language arts, math and science for sure are the cores. Let's add finance onto that. Mm -hmm. And then physical activity. I think also there should be an element of that that is, uh, required because as a guy who's coached a younger generation, there is a lack of physical literacy out there where a lot of people are growing up without ever throwing a ball or understanding how their body works physically. And, and that's very important to stay fit. So part of my belief system is that a fit and strong body contributes to a fit and strong mind. And those are, are avenues that just help relieve stress and keep you mentally acute and healthy as well. But um, uh, uh, if I was to pick one thing that needs to be added to the curriculum as a must-do, mm -hmm. personal finances for sure. How did you, since school didn't teach you finance, how did you come up with learning about finance? Was it your parents? I was trial and error. Like my, my parents taught me a little bit, mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, my dad wasn't great with money, right? I mean, he, he you know, passed away without passing really anything financially on to the family. And, mm -hmm. and, and as the result of that, the, the kids in my family, and there are four of us, are, are financially responsible for my mom, who also had jobs throughout the year. But for, for most of our lives was a stay-at-home mom who worked at engineering the lives of four children and making sure we all succeeded. And so, um, you know, I think some of those, some of those rules, like I, I saw my dad struggle financially and that informed a lot of my attitude about savings and making sure that we are financially secure and, and it's talking to experts and thankfully being curious about it. And, and really, from the age of 20 or so, being a journalist, having the opportunity to talk to people in some of those uh, disciplines. Plus, I married a woman whose dad is an accountant. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> that helps, too. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is just yeah. sort of self-taught and self-learned and, and being... There's so much information out there now available online about you know some best practices if you are earning a wage and what to do with it and how to save and, and why some, why, you know, why a conservative strategy is sometimes better, why real estate sometimes is better, uh, and, and why there are times also where you can raise the risk a little bit. So I'm no financial expert, but uh, at least I'm financially secure. A lot of YouTubers 
are getting way more views than like television stations. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what would be my question here? Like, do you think it, it would be is is that is that a negative thing, or how would we push people to more tele television stations, or do you think television stations won't be a thing in the next ten years? Well, I think TV stations will always have a place in in the one thing about the one thing about YouTube and. You know, we, we have been, in many ways, slow to react, right? Conventional broadcast television grew up, sort of came of age in the, in the cable era when you needed to be connected with a cable. Now with right. internet and, you know, broadband and streaming services, it's, it's a more fractured audience. And while, you know, Mr. Beast might have millions upon millions of, of subscribers, um, the revenue model for people who create on YouTube is still much different. And it's only those very few top 0.1% right. of people who can make a living doing it because you get only pennies, pennies for the ads that run on YouTube. We haven't, you know, we have a lot to learn about how to monetize streaming services. But I think one thing that I think makes local television, especially as six o'clock newscast, important and valuable is it's a shared experience for people who are watching in that moment at six o'clock. And we have a focus on local stories and, and really provincial stories that matter immediately to the lives of people who are watching in the cities in which they live. And, you know, YouTube has some amazing content that you can't take your eyes off. But when 350 to 400,000 people watch our show at six o'clock and have a shared experience about that, I think that's a very valuable service that we provide to them and to the city and to the province to, to reflect stories that matter to the province and that gives them an idea about what's working and what's not working in the things that matter in their lives, municipal politics, provincial politics, and federal politics. And it, it helps them make decisions that can affect positive change in their lives and their communities. And a lot of people are experiencing that at the same time. Yes, our audiences are shrinking, but we are finding ways to put our program out on platforms that people are using on their phones with Slack TV and the Global News app. And, you know, now people aren't restricted to just watching the six o'clock news at exactly six o'clock and sitting on the couch in their living rooms doing it. They can watch it anywhere in the world at any time. Mm -hmm. And, And those are the kinds of changes and uh and that's the evolution of our industry that will always make a tv show as we produce it i think relevant and important what was your one biggest regret in life that you'd want to go back to and change what that one thing that keeps on bothering you that says why did i do that differently i hate to have regrets i i think that every decision that i've made has pushed me to the place that i am now I, I do wish, and this is, you know, more about athletics, because as I get older and I'm no longer capable of the things that I used to be able to do, 
I wish I gave more effort to college basketball when I played it. Like that was an opportunity I got that I really just relied on my natural physical ability and didn't really commit myself to that team atmosphere and that university athletic experience the way that I wish I did. And 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 because I didn't, this is the beauty of it, because I didn't, I really didn't get to continue in it and that opened the door to me getting into broadcast journalism and having the career that I have. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Had I done what I had I done a better job of really committing to to basketball at that time, maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity right. or I would have chosen some different path than the one that I did. But I, I have a lot of people to credit. I actually, the the real reason that I ended up being forced to make a choice in my education was at, at the end of the first basketball season that I played. Al Bahanas, who was the news director at the time, pulled me into his office. Sorry, he was the athletic director at Mount Royal University. Al Bahanas, the athletic director, pulled me into his office and said, Chris, basketball is not going to pay your bills. So while you're at this university, don't just stay in general studies. Pick a path for your education. Mm -hmm. And that is what really inspired me to look through the course book and find broadcast journalism. I would not have done that if I didn't have that conversation with Al Bahanas. And I'm, so I'm eternally thankful for that, that I got into the program. And then when I got into the program, I mentioned we, we did radio in the first year and then television in the second year. I was certain that I wanted to uh, be a cameraman in television. I wanted to be able to go to work in my jeans and a t-shirt and not have to wear a suit and tie. That seemed yeah. like the <laughs> stupidest thing in the world that anybody would ever want to do. Look at me now, of course. Um, but another instructor, Bert Leenberg, pulled me aside. And, and this was after we had done sort of introduction to television and we had, you know, had to craft some stories and we had to do some things on camera. And he just said, I, I don't want to say you're a bad cameraman, but that is not where your skill set lies. Mm -hmm. You have a writing ability. You have a, an on-air performance ability yeah. and you have a voice and go that, use those things. Yeah. Go use those things and you will be served very well throughout your career. And, and he was not wrong. And I owe him a, a huge debt of gratitude too for pushing me in that direction. Mark Chikinda, who was the uh, Dean of Communications back then, was a huge supporter of me on the radio. You know, calling in when I played something at the wrong time of day at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I was rocking out, Mark would call in and go, bad choice, Galus. <laughs> And, uh, and help me on a, on a path to learning that craft a little bit more and understanding what on-air storytelling is all about. And, right. and uh, you know, those are the people, those were the early mentors that had a huge influence on me. Before we end off the session, um, what would be your favorite book and favorite mm -hmm. podcast? Since, since you read a lot of books, I would yeah. assume, you said you like reading. Yeah. What would be your favorite book? Maybe most influential, most beneficial for... 
Yeah, there's there are some great ones, and and to me, like I read for pleasure, right? Okay. So a a, a short history of nearly everything um, by Bill Bryson is mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Um, I just read A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls, which is a fabulous book, especially in light of you know what is happening in in. It doesn't deal with Ukraine, but it's a it's an exploration of Russian culture, in a, uh-huh. and told in a really interesting way with the the main character, um, the gentleman who is in Moscow, confined through house arrest to a hotel, and all of the characters that he meets in this Russian hotel and the, you know, just the beautiful descriptions of of Russian architecture and culture and and uh, things that really made that country great before present uh, leadership mm-hmm. went, went downhill. Uh, those are two, two of my favorite recent books anyways. Pretty much anything by Bill Bryson I love too, <laughs> and, and, and Amor Tolls is, is a great uh, author as well. Um, podcast, I'm really into right now How I Built That, which is a, a podcast interviewing entrepreneurs who started businesses that ended up being sold or being worth Hmm. hundreds of millions or in some cases billions of dollars and uh you know the the creators of of popular apps and websites and um southwest airlines and you know just entrepreneurs who have done incredible things how I built that with Guy Raz, who is the interviewer and researcher who puts a lot of work into doing the podcast as well, is a is a great podcast. So I'd encourage anybody out there who's ever thought about starting a business right. or doing something cool or having an idea that they think might be a business. It's a fascinating way to learn about how those entrepreneurs brought it to life. I've never heard of that podcast, but I'll for sure check it out. I'm a bit, I'm a big podcast guy. Yeah, so. you should check that one out. That's, That's awesome. Good. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Matthew, thank you very much. And good luck in your career. I've really enjoyed it. Bye.